great to see you guys, and uh, it's uh, fantastic to be here. And uh, you might wonder, well, hey, why, why does it take a little while to get together for an outdoor service? And here's what I would say. Um, shepherding children through a message in Hosea and keeping their attention for a lengthy amount of time is difficult, and I don't want to try to do that very often. And so we picked chapter 3 where there's only five verses. And so that's why we're doing it today is because I got five verses in the book of Hosea chapter 3 to cover. Hopefully you've been hanging out with us, uh, enjoying some of the devotionals that our team and staff has been writing. And I would say over the last handful of months, if nothing else has happened, uh, our staff has increased their um, ability to make a difference in shepherding people. I'm so proud of them and the way that they've uh, reached out to so many people, uh, writing uh, devotionals, uh, doing so many things that are outside of the box that three months ago we weren't doing, and now they're doing on a daily basis. And I'm so grateful for it. Uh, if you are not getting our devotionals, then we encourage you to consider joining us there. And you can simply go to stonepointchurch.com forward slash Hosea. Now, you might even wonder, why the, the book of Hosea? Hosea is a, a lengthy book. It's talking about a guy um, named Hosea, and he is a prophet of God. He's got a wife named Gomer, in which uh, from past weeks we know that, that she has been unfaithful to her husband. And as we walk through this book, what we see is the parallel between this relationship of a husband and his unfaithful wife and God to an unfaithful people called Israel. But the reason I love this book is that every time you walk through these chapters, you get to see just some things that really are just kind of stacked on top of one another. And, and here's what's interesting. Even in this chapter, there's five verses, and the five verses take you from the very beginning of time, of creation, all the way to the very end of your Bible in five verses. See, God has a way of doing that, and he does it time and time and time again throughout this book. Matter of fact, when we think about the book of Hosea and we think about God, here's what you're going to see. You're always going to see throughout the book, you're going to see God's past promises. He made covenant promises to his people. But then what you're going to see is, um, is that you're going to see a present sin. So you see past promises and covenants, and then you see a present sin that's there. Well, because there's a present sin, you also see that there's impeding or future judgments that are going to happen. But not only are those judgments coming, then there's another hope, right? God continues to say, even though there's judgment coming, there is also a future hope of a Messiah. And then not only is there a Messiah, but there's a future glory. Like one day, everything's going to be made new. There's not, there's not going to be any more uh, pain or sin for the old order of things is going to pass away, Revelation 21. And you see that in this book. You see uh, God's love for people who are unfaithful. You see his promises to them. He goes, hey, there's a future hope in a Messiah. His name's Jesus. Watch for him. Be waiting for him because one day he's going to make all the, the wrongs of the world right. He's going to make all the imp imperfections perfect. And so that he just says, hey, hang on. And that's what he's doing even in chapter 3. Matter of fact, in uh, Hosea, here's what you kind of learn is that the people of God have a couple of ways they can learn. Uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes we learn best by pain, uh, heartache, right? Like if you think about your life, there's many of us that we have wandered off from God. He has brought us to the very bottom uh, places, literally to the lowest of lows. And then it was there that we were able to call out to God and we were able to find him. You remember the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15? 
He abandons his father, takes what he thinks is his, rightfully goes, squanders it all away, finds himself one day eating with pigs, and all of a sudden the light bulb goes off. And he goes, all this pain, all this heartache, it doesn't have to be this way. And then he gathers up whatever left he has, and he heads home to his father, and he goes, Father, just make me one of your hired servants. That's better than what I've had. He hits rock bottom. And sometimes God teaches us by pain. But friends, can I just tell you real quickly, there's a better way that God would rather us learn, and that is by his precepts. It is far easier to do what God encourages us to do the first time than it is to continue to learn by pain. But it's our choice, isn't it? Some of us, because we can oftentimes be that younger brother, rebellious in nature, we learn over and over and over again by pain. But then there's a handful of, uh, of us in this place that we go, we learn best by the precepts of God. And that's what God is trying to teach the people of Israel. You can learn by pain or you can learn by my word. And they choose pain over and over and over again. And so in Hosea chapter 3, uh, in these verses 1 through 5, this is what the Lord says um, to Hosea. Hosea says, The Lord said to me, Go show your, lo- your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and they love the sacred raisin cakes. So here it is uh, in chapter 3. Uh, apparently what we've seen is, is that um, Hosea loved this, this woman named Gomer, married her uh, throughout their relationship. She continued to run uh, in an unorthodox way to other people, to other men, looking for something that she believed that her husband couldn't give her. And the challenge is, is that she was promiscuous in so many ways and according to the scriptures with so many different men. And here it was, she gets to the place where she has hit rock bottom and Uh, God is calling Hosea, hey, go and get her again. Go get your wife and go love her and go and show her who you are. And in verse 1, it says, though she is loved by another man. And right there in the the text there, that other man is simply just saying, though she's not with you and she's with another one of her lovers, I want you to pursue after her. Follow fast towards her and go and get her. And then he tells us why he's encouraging Hosea to do that. And he says in the latter part of verse 1, he goes, because God loves the Israelites. And you see this incredible parallel laying out right before your eyes. He's going, hey, Hosea, go get your unfaithful wife. Remind her of who you are and your faithfulness and go and get her. Redeem her. And he goes, because that's what the Lord intends to do with the people of Israel. But what's interesting is, is, you might ask yourself the question, well, why is, why is Hosea going to do that? Uh, why, why would he go to his wife who has been with multiple other people in this journey? Why would he show compassion on her? Because what we see here from the text is, is that she's really, in some ways, uh, doesn't seem to be redeemable. I mean, she, she in some ways has hit the low point of her life. Um, there's nothing lovely about her. She's impure in so many ways. Uh, she is loved by so many other men uh, that it, it's very difficult to understand why he would do that. Matter of fact, you remember there's another woman that she was also from the, the northern area of Israel in, in the Gospel of John. 
Matter of fact, she was in this place called Samaria, uh, the capital city of the old Israel, uh, when it was divided. And you remember Jesus, actually, he's walking through Samaria, and he, he sits down in a well in John chapter 4, and he meets a woman in, in the, the day hour that no one else would be there, and he, he sits down and he has a conversation with her. And it's, it's she's, as, they're, as they're talking, do you remember what he said? He goes, hey, hey, tell me a little bit about yourself. And she just said, well, I'm, I'm not married, you know. And, and then he goes, yeah, you're right when you say you're not married because you've been married five times and now you're living with another man. Guys, this is the New Testament picture of the Old Testament Gomer. And yet, do you know what God does in this moment? He uses his son Jesus to meet this woman at the well, this Samaritan, unlovely, in some ways, um, unrespected woman. And what does he do? He offers a chance at salvation for her. And she goes away. And you know what she's talking about? She's not talking about her previous five husbands. She's not talking about any of her lovers. Do you know what she says? I have met a man worth meeting. And she goes and she wants to show everybody this Jesus, the one who desires to be her faithful husband, who will never let her down. Friends, that is what God is telling Hosea to do in Hosea chapter 3. Hey, go be a faithful picture of God to your wife. I want you to redeem her. I want you to purchase her, not because of who she is, not because of what she's done, but because of who you are and because of what I will do for my unfaithful people called Israel. Friends, I don't know about you, but that's really awesome. God loves people in spite of what we look like. Sounds a little bit like us. It reminds me of Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. It just says this, for we, you and I, okay? Uh, So real quickly, um, if you here were once foolish, would you raise your hand? Like there was a point in time in your life you were foolish, okay? There's some of you already checked out. You're like, what's he having me raise my hands for? Let me say it one more time. Uh, because there's people online that aren't, aren't practicing either. If you've been foolish before in your life, would you raise your hand? Yes. So that's what, that's what Titus says. Uh, Titus says, For we were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to our various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness of our loving God, the kindness of our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Can I get an amen, friends? Maybe a hand clap there? Yeah? I mean, do you understand what God has done here? Friends, are you with me? Hey, what's the point of us regathering if we're not going to celebrate the goodness of God? Friends, he has lavished his love upon unlovable beings. And you and I are at the front of that. And here it is. That's what God is encouraging Hosea to do. Go love a woman who is unlovable and who has been with many, many men. And in verse 2, it says, that Hosea bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Here's, here's what we'd know is um, he goes and he seems to ransom and redeem this woman and he pays, according to what Exodus 21 would tell us, about half the price of a dead slave. 
So in Exodus 21, if an ox gored a slave, you would have to pay him 30 shekels. In this case, what you see is he pays half of that and some barley. Maybe it equated to 30 shekels. Here's what we'd know. It wasn't an incredibly high price. And what we see here is that um, he, he basically buys her back. Why does he do that? It's because God demonstrates for us what it looks like to purchase something that was in some ways irredeemable. But here it is. Nonetheless, he reaches out to her. And then in verse 3, this is what's interesting. He says, And I told her, You are to live with me many days, and you must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way towards you. So Hosea goes, and he gets his wife uh, apparently on the trading block. And the question then becomes is, did he buy her on the trading block, and did he redeem her that way? Or in some ways, did he just go to her and say, hey, listen, I want to buy you for what everybody else is buying you for. I want to provide for you in ways that you have been provided for before. And I think there's some debate to that. But here's what's important, is that you realize that Hosea goes and he gets this woman and he says, listen, you are valuable to me and I want to bring you home and I want to meet all your needs. He goes, I want to be a faithful husband to you. I want to be an example to you. I want to be a picture of faithfulness to you. And then he says, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to come home and there is no more going out. There, there, is no, there are no other men. There is nothing else that's going to fulfill you. You are going to be my woman and I'm going to be your man. And he goes, and here's what's interesting. We're going to love one another, not because we have incredible intimacy together. Hey, we're going to love one another not because we have feelings of love. Because we're going to love one another not because we look back on our past and, and we love everything that's happened. Here's what he says. We're going to love one another out of a covenant-keeping love. Because let me ask you a question. Do you really believe that Hosea felt like loving this unfaithful woman? Do you think that she really had a desire to run and jump in his arms when he says, you're going to come home and be my woman? Here's what I would tell you. The feelings weren't there. It wasn't, it wasn't something that felt right. It didn't feel good. But here's what it was. It was God's word. And God had said, you're to maintain a covenant together. And so Hosea goes, let's do this. I'm going to maintain the covenant. And what's interesting is, in, in verse 3, is he goes, you're going to come home, and we're not going to be intimate together. There's not going to be intimacy. There's not going to be butterflies and these incredible feelings. He goes, but what there is going to be, is faithful love. There's going to be a picture of faithfulness. And you will not have to find provision in any other person, place, or thing, for I will provide for you. I will meet all of your needs richly. And friends, that's what God desires to do for us. He wants to be our faithful husband. He says, if you want, you can chase after anything you want. It will never fill. It will always take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. Why? Because that's what sin does. It takes you further than you want to go. It keeps you longer than you want to stay. And it'll cost you far more than you really want to pay. And God's saying, hey, come home. And that's what he's telling the people of Israel. Matter of fact, he outlines that further in verse 4. Look what he says. He goes, for the Israelites will live with me many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod, or household gods. Here's what he says. He goes, 
Hosea, just as you go and you get your wife and you bring her home and there's not intimacy between her and you, I'm going to encourage you to remember what I'm doing for my people. And here's what he says. He goes, I'm going to be faithful to Israel, but there's going to be a season where intimacy will not be the case with Israel. And friends, let me ask you a question. Has Israel had intimacy with God lately? And the answer is no. Matter of fact, we know that for at least 20 centuries, there has been no faithfulness. Matter of fact, it was uh, shortly after 60 AD, if you remember Nero and the persecution of Rome, we read about that in 1 Peter, that Nero burned the city, blamed it on Christians. Uh, the temple was destroyed. And guess what? Sacrifice as the people of Israel knew it was over. But you know what? It wasn't just over then, was it? It was actually over about 30 years previous when Jesus was hanging on the cross. And as he was hanging on the cross, he committed his spirit to the Lord. Just inside the city, there was something that happened in the temple. And that was the veil was torn from top to bottom. And you know what God was communicating to his people? He goes, you've, you've sought after lovers and you didn't find them. Guess what? The door is closed. I'm going to be your faithful husband. There will be no other gods. There will be no other sacrifices. There will be no other pillars. There will be no other ephods. There will be nothing else that will fill the void in your life. And God says, Israel, look to me, your faithful king. Does Israel have a king? And you might shake your head and say, no, I I don't think so. And I would say, yeah, they do. Just just not the king they ever desired. His, his name is Jesus. Hey, hey does, does Israel have a priest in this day and time? Not the way that they're used to, but they do have a perfect priest. His name is Jesus. Hey, friends, does, does Israel, do they have a sacrifice? Yes, not the way they're used to, but do they have a sacrifice? Yes, his name is Jesus. Hey, do they have prof, a prophet, one who speaks the way? Yes, his name is Jesus. Friends, here's what God has done. He has said, hey, you've looked for other things. You haven't found them. Look to me. Why? Because there's a future hope. There is a glory going to be revealed. And then in chapter 5, here's what he does. He reveals the future to them. He tells them what they can look forward to, the expectant hope. And he says this in verse 5. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God, and David will be their king, right? And they will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. The question is, is what does that mean, that David would be their king? And here's what it means. It means that the promise is going to come to fruition. They're going to have the Davidic king, that they're going to have someone who sits on the throne forever, and he reigns perfectly. He's just. He's fair. He's lovely. He's faithful. And friends, according to the Scriptures, we know that the person who will rule and reign for the people of Israel is the same one who will rule and reign for us, the Gentiles. His name is Jesus. Friends, that is the hope. That is the expectation, is that Jesus will sit on his throne. Now listen, you might oftentimes wonder, well, when is Jesus going to come, and what does that look like, and will there really be a seven-year tribulation, and will there be a thousand-year millennial reign? And I'll tell you, here's what I'll say as I close. The reason I believe in a seven-year tribulation, the reason I personally believe in a rapture of the church myself, is simply because I believe that God is going to use the last days 
to allure his faithful bride, faithless bride to a faithful husband. I believe that in those last days, he's going to pursue her, going to bring her home. And I believe Israel will look to Jesus and they will finally realize what they've been missing for 2,700 plus years. Really 3,000 plus years if you want to go back to the, king, the days of King David. But here's what they're going to look to. They're going to look for a faithful king and a promise. And in those days, Jesus is going to bring his people back. And then here's what he's going to do. He's going to sit on the throne, and he's going to be their God. And he is going to say, you are my people. He's going to be the husband, and they are going to be his bride. And he's going to allure her, and he's going to rule perfectly for her. Friends, are we there yet? I don't think we're quite there yet, but let me ask you a question. Should we be ready for those days? Hey, I don't know about you, but are we living in a country and a nation at a time right now where we see faithlessness all around us, where we see oppression, heartache, division. Listen, that's not the way that God intends it to finally be. And so until that day, we are to live for him. We are to be hope in the darkness. We are to be light and salt, and we are to be a lovely picture of faithfulness, even when it's challenging. Friends, will you press on for me and with me uh, for the sake of the gospel and for our prophet, priest, and king. His name is Jesus. Amen? Let me pray for us, guys. We love you and thank you for being here. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the goodness and the grace that you have displayed for us. Father, we know that we are merely a faithless people. The God that in our hearts, we were foolish. Our hearts were darkened. God, we were estranged, estranged from you. Lord, we, we pursued after things that didn't please you. Even us in our lives have chased after things that did not fill the void, things that didn't honor you, things that didn't uh, show any respect towards you. And yet, while we were simply unlovable, while we were unfaithful, God, you pursued us. And Lord, we thank you that you show us faithfulness. We thank you that it is you that reveals your loving kindness, your loyalty towards us. That while we were yet sinners, you sent your son Jesus, the Christ, to die for us. So Father, that's why we gather. It's why we sing. It's why we celebrate the way we do. It's because you are a faithful husband. And you displayed that through your son Jesus in the same way that you displayed it through Hosea the prophet to his unfaithful wife, Gomer. Thank you, Lord. We love you, and we ask this in your name, the name above all names, Jesus Christ. Amen.